And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show, this is your final Euro 2020 group guide and we save the best till last, the group of death, group F. My name is Ryan Bailey and I'm but a small part of the awesome foursome delivering you the team previews today. The part of the awesome foursome with the most facial hair currently, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Do you think Hungary are pumped to be involved in the group of death? Because on the one hand, it's like, hey, we're a high profile team. But on the other hand, we know how this is going to play out. They seem like a prime candidate for the recipient of the death, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, sir. Well said, Ryan. (laughs) Anyway, the part of the awesome foursome, I think with the least facial hair, by contrast to Taylor, it's Graham, the baby-faced assassin, Ruthven. Hello. I mean, I've got a little bit of, I mean, nothing compared to to Taylor uh, Rockenwell over there with his uh, very Hungarian... (laughs) Uh, style. <laughs> I mean, it was a tribute. <laughs> was it? Was that, is that a tribute oh, to man. this? Did you grow Gra- it specifically for this for this group? But yes, Graham, I'm gonna have to. I'll have to send you my passport photo at some point. It's on Instagram somewhere. But when <laughs> I first got my passport taken, I I have like very curly hair, like ringlet hair. If I grow it long, and my passport photo was long ringlets and no facial hair. And then when I first came back from Turkey, I had shaved my head and grown a beard. And the security people had some questions. Not surprisingly. <laughs> It's fun to hear stories from the past um, that we tell each other, such as the one Graham told us about the first time he drank vodka before we came on air. Graham? I I feel like I don't want to tell any more about that story. Ryan, I'll leave it up to you. You You could tell it. Well, Ryan, now, make well, it worse. I'm, Ryan, make it worse. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it to the listener's imagination because that's yeah. even more exciting, I would say. Uh, I'm going to round out these introductions, though. Uh, the part of the awesome foursome who 
Probably doesn't care about facial hair. He loves analytical flair. It's Joe Lowry. I've got a rhyme in this time that worked, Joe. <laughs> Ryan, I'm so proud of you. Dr. Seuss is proud of you. We're all proud of you. I I say I care some about facial hair. I don't think I groom mine as meticulously as Taylor takes care of his lovely beard. But I'd say <laughs> I spend maybe half a percent of my thoughts each day thinking about it. Maybe that's too high. But I, I do high. think about it from time to time. I appreciate okay. that you all think I put care into this as opposed to eventually there's a photo of me that's like, well, that's not what I can wear and be societally acceptable, and then I have to groom it. It grows wide uh, before it grows long because of the curls. My beard is also curly. And it looks a little bit more like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's beard than it does a normal beard. And uh, I leave it to people to Google that one and find out what that's going to look like. So, Taylor, with a curly beard, if you'll allow me to picture you in the shower, does it, um, <laughs> Please. Does it, does it sort of go down low? Like, does it straighten out? <laughs> What are we talking about here? Yeah, I'm, I'm also confused about that one. Uh, no, it just means it's like... I was sad to know that because I, I kept wondering why I never got like the long sort of like Viking beard. And then my mm. barber asked me if I had curly hair. And I was like, yes, why? And he said, well, because if your hair is curly, then your facial hair is curly, which means it, it's going to stay very tight and very dense, which is why you cannot see any part of my face underneath the beard, but also the beard doesn't get very long. Oh, well, you could see Graham's face and much more of him uh, in his vodka story. We'll get to that later, though. Uh, We're going to be talking about Group F uh, from Euro 2020, this one taking place in Munich and Budapest. Uh, The teams in this group, Graham Rutherham is going to be tackling the Temple of the Dogs' favourite team. He's going hungry, yeah! Did anybody get that reference? I'm I'm dropping a lot of early nights. Not only did I get it, but you said it at the end of the last recording when Graham Graham and Joe had both signed off. And as soon as we signed off, Ryan, I proceeded to hum that song to myself for the next five minutes and then ended by cursing you out loud. So thanks for that. Uh, Are you trying to tell me that's not an awesome song, Taylor? I'm trying to tell you it's not an awesome song to have stuck in your head. All right. Well, um, now it's stuck in everybody's head. And then, um, please don't go and tune out and listen to the Temple of the Dog album. Stay with us, listener. Stay yeah. with us because we're going to be hearing about Portugal, the holders of this European Championships uh, from Joe Lowry. Uh, please don't let them win it again, Joe. Please don't let uh, them do it again. I, I will say, Ryan, I'm not managing Portugal, so I don't necessarily have that authority, but I'm just distracted because Taylor just sent us all a picture of a man in a beard in our WhatsApp <laughs> chat, and it's not his passport photo, which is the picture that we all <laughs> actually wanted to see. Taylor, I know this is the uh. other gentleman that you mentioned, but this yeah. is not what we want. Uh, I would really uh. like you to do better in your next WhatsApp okay. message. Okay, you, you need the baby face then. I, I see. Come on, all man. Right. Come on, man. Read the room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, th- I think we expect that on Twitter now as well for everybody's benefit. Um, I'm going to be talking wi- uh, talking about France in this one, uh, uh, dealing with France, which is something I've done for most of my life, growing up next door to France, which is a whole thing that British people do. And Taylor, you are going to... <laughs> That is such a weird way to explain England's location in relation to France. I was trying to and be your diplomatic. relationship to France. Uh. I, so my wife is from a, an area of England called Somerset. I grew up closer to France than I grew up to where my wife grew up, if that makes sense. And uh, I'm going to move on because you're, um, <laughs> you're talking about Germany who are hosting this group, Taylor. So you'll be yeah. saying, Guten Tag, Jawohl, and du wirst eine Konkurrenzfest der Balken. Uh, I mean, obviously, your, uh, you have to. It's a beautiful language. That's all I <laughs> it's such a beautiful language, especially when screamed like that. <laughs> Butland, What's the best baby. way to do it, I find? Butland. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I wonder if there are any uh, any uh, Italian rappers who are going to be rapping about the German team in this one. We shall see. These games taking place at the Pushkas Arena in Budapest, as I mentioned there, and the Allianz Arena in Munich. Let's start off, uh, Graham, with uh, the host team, uh, Hungary, who will be playing at the Pushkas Arena. I want to hear their nickname. I want to know how they got here. Tell me what you got about the coach. Anything you want to tell me, Graham, just tell me. Okay, so I'm going to start off with the nickname because that's the the bit I'm going to struggle with most. So the English translation is just quite boring, the National Eleven, And the Hungarian for that is Nemzeti Tizanegi. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's the worst <laughs> one so far. We've left the worst one to the, uh, uh, to, the, to the last group. I'm so sorry. That is not correct. That is not how you say it, but that's my best shot at it. So in, in terms of how Hungary got to this tournament, they took a fairly unconventional route, you could say. They finished fourth in their qualifying group behind Croatia, Wales and Slovakia, finishing only above Azerbaijan in a five-team group. So it's a little strange that they're at this tournament. However, they went into the playoff series thanks to their, their strong showing in the in the Nations League. They beat Bulgaria in the semi-final and then Iceland to qualify for the Euros. We'll come back to that Iceland game in a little bit. Um, most recently, Hungarians have been in, in pretty good form. They've they've lo- lost just one of their their last ten matches since September 2020, winning six uh, and drawing the other three. Um, if you expect Hungary to be the whipping boys in this group, I think you you might be in for a little bit of a surprise. This is a team that has momentum. They have a little bit of quality, and um, as I say, they, they, they've they've been in, in good form over quite a sustained period of time. So yes, they may be the the kind of fourth ranked team in this group, but I don't think they're going to be humiliated in the, in the group of death. Um, their coach is Marco Rossi. He took the job in uh, June 2018 has enjoyed a pretty positive time in charge. Italian coach um, has lost just nine games in charge of Hungary since that time in, in, in June uh, 2018. Led Hungary to back-to-back Nation League uh, promotions, uh, which means that Hungary will now be in Division A. They'll be in the, they'll be in the top division, um, which just shows you how well they have they have played over the last three years. Now, bringing it back to that, that playoff final win against Iceland, um, Rossi actually missed that game after testing positive uh, for COVID the day, the day before and Rossi actually missed Hungary's playoff final win over Iceland after testing positive for COVID the, the day before. He had to self-isolate and he missed one of the, the best football comebacks ever. Hungary scored twice in the last three minutes to, to come back from 1-0 down to win 2-1. So imagine something like Sir Alex Ferguson wasn't at the camp now in 1999 to see Manchester United beat Bayern Munich and you, you kind of get the gist in terms of how big that win was for, for Hungary and how dramatic it was. Um, in terms of his style of play, he's mostly stuck with a 3-4-1-2 and a 3-5-2, which are obviously kind of interchangeable during his time um, in charge of Hungary. And this was a team, and this is, this is a player we're going to mention a few times over, over the course of this preview, despite the fact he's not going to be at the tournament. This was a team that was built around Dominic uh, Soboslai, um, who, of course, is the, the the RB Leipzig midfielder, who's actually yet to play. I think I don't think he's actually played a game for Leipzig, or if he has, he's played only one or two games since moving from from Salzburg um, in the January window due to injury, and he's he's been ruled out of this tournament, which is a, a massive blow to Hungary, and I think just generally a massive blow to the tournament. He would have been one of the the, the most exciting young players at the at the 
at the Euro, so that's a bit of a disappointment. And his absence means that they will there will be a more kind of conservative midfield from from Hungary. They'll need to trust their their the three central defenders and Adam Nahai, who who plays for Bristol City, to pr- to provide some protection in defensive midfield role. Um, and this will allow the wing backs to push forward and and support the 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 forward players in the attack. However, the danger with this if if they concede. Uh, a little bit too much space, and they drop a little bit deep into a defensive block. Um, then Hungary might be; they might find it difficult to get out uh, if, if they if they aren't able to spray the ball out to the wings. I think I, I mentioned it was quite similar with North Macedonia, similar sort of deal where the the, the wide men are so important to them getting getting out um, from the back. And if that happens, and they do go a little bit too deep, there's only so long that they can hold out against the the standard of the attacking threat that they're going to come up against in in, in Group F. I'm thinking. Uh, you know, obviously, um, Kylian Mbappe and Cristiano Ronaldo and and uh, well, I was going to say Timo Werner, but I could almost, I could I could sense Ryan about to jump in there, so yeah. I won't mention Timo Werner. Um, and and one thing to watch out for with Hungary in terms of how they like to play, and I watched this is something I noticed in in watching some of their highlights and some of their games, is they like to bunch up the play on one side of 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 the wing. They they drag everyone over to that side, and that creates space for the wing back on the other side, and then they they switch play very quickly. So I'd imagine that's something that the, the opposition managers have uh, have probably planned for because it, it is very obvious when Hungary tried to do that and. That's something. That's one of the ways that they, they get up the field. So that's uh, my short analysis of what to expect from Hungary at this tournament. Graham, I think we were we were uh, joking at Hungary's expense in the beginning, and I would say for me, part part of that was rooted in the Soboslai injury news. Uh, for American fans, that's the player who left Salzburg that opened up the space for Brendan Aronson to come in and get minutes. Uh, and from what I've read about Hungary, it seems like there are multiple injuries that they're going to have to deal with, and and so I think the kind of hype about them maybe a couple months ago. Uh, such as it was, has died off a little bit because of those injuries. Do do you expect them to sort of be able to deal with that, or is it the type of team where, with a couple players out with injury, it's going to fundamentally change like kind of everything they're trying to do? Yeah, I, th- I think obviously the the Sobislai one is 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 a massive blow. There's another midfielder as well, Clamar, who's who's not going to mm-hmm. be there and who is very much involved with the almost every game he's he's a he's a key figure for Hungary and he's also not going to be at the tournament so I, I, I get I know why you're saying that and so obviously I, I know I keep coming back to it but the, the thing that struck me about his importance this Hungary team is it was it's almost Christian Eriksen-esque in terms of yeah. how Denmark build around Eriksen and Slobosly is that player for, for Hungary so yeah there is a little bit of an unknown I know I'm contradicting myself slightly and saying let's like don't expect them to be the whipping boys but to, to be perfectly honest and I think even Hungary fans would would admit this. The answer to your question is I don't know. I, I don't know yeah. how they're going to react to losing Sobislai and, as I say, Klamar as well, who's a who's a key player in the centre of the pitch. So that that will be the big test for them at this tournament. All right. Thank you very much, Graham. Uh, Joe Portugal. Uh, tell us a little bit about them. Their nickname. Uh, their coach. Uh, well, we know actually their coach in uh, the Euro 2016 final was Cristiano Ronaldo, um, who assumed that role <laughs> and very much pushed them over the line. Is he still their coach, Joe? Yeah, so he'll be a player manager this time around, as opposed <laughs> to just manager in that final. Uh, the, the Portuguese actual coach is Fernando Santos, more on him and his style of play in just a moment. The nickname for this Portuguese team, A Seleção, the selection. They got here from, uh, well, they, they won Euro 2016 the last time around. That's not how they got here. But they finished second in their Euro qualifying group, coming back as the reigning champions, three points behind Ukraine, but ahead of Serbia, Luxembourg, and Lithuania. 
Uh, there's a lot of talent in this team, and we'll talk about that later on. But as I said, coached by Fernando Santos, 66-year-old Portuguese manager. He's been coaching Portugal since 2014, uh, had them in the round of 16 at the 2018 World Cup, and then led them to victory, as I said, in the last edition of the Euros, stylistically, tactically. This team is very comfortable in possession. They have obvious quality on the ball with players like Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes. They have just Ja Felix as well, who can drift down from the front line, play as a number 10, play as a second forward, play out wide. They have so much talent. They, they can positionally interchange with their central midfielders and their wide players. They have two of the most flexible fullbacks in in soccer, really, at all, with Rafael Guerrero and Joao Cancelo able to to play on either side, but it's going to be Guerrero on the left and Cancelo on the right. And we've seen Joao Cancelo especially drift into all sorts of different spaces and be used in all sorts of different ways by Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. Portugal's not bound to possession, though, and I think that's notable, especially in this group of death, where there are other teams that can hold the ball, especially Germany, I think, will be the, the, the biggest threat to challenge them for possession more so than France and more so than Hungary. Portugal's comfortable playing in transition with, with some more vertical attacking play. Ronaldo can drift out to the left side from his number nine spot. The central midfielders can drive the ball forward. They have no issue being a little bit more reactive and a little bit more pragmatic and trying to absorb pressure, defend, and then, and then counterattack. Formation-wise, quickly... They've used a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3 recently. It's, it's not really like one of those formations is a, is a clue to how they're going to approach a game. You might think the 4-3-3 would be a little bit more expansive and the 4-2-3-1 would be a little bit more defensive. Not necessarily. It kind of depends on what the personnel is in those two shapes. If it's Renato Sanchez playing as a right-sided midfielder like he did recently in a game against Spain in that nil-nil draw that happened uh, just a few days ago, then they're going a little bit more defensive because they have a little bit more defensive metal in there alongside the double pivot. You have Sanchez out on the right. If it's Bernardo Silva at right midfield, or if it's a 4-3-3 with Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva both in the team, that's a clue that they're going to be a little bit more attacking. So defensively, they can they can play a 4-4-2 block or a 4-4-1-1 block if they're in that 4-2-3-1, or the wingers can just drop back in the 4-3-3 and make it look like a 4-5-1 or a 4-1-4-1. Again, I think as Taylor wisely said in our first preview, it's kind of the same thing so Portugal <laughs> not afraid to step out high press not afraid to sit a little bit deeper they're this very flexible tactical team I don't know what shape they're going to use but I do know that this team is scary good scary good they are indeed as are at least two other teams perhaps three other teams as we've heard from Graham uh, in this group I shall move on if there's no other uh, business with Portugal for now to talk about France uh, who are nicknamed Le Bleu it's one of those perfunctory nicknames that the French do actually use, LA Le Bleu and so on. It means the Blues, of course. Uh, they are the number two ranked team by FIFA metrics behind Belgium. They are the reigning World Cup champions, as you're probably aware. They are two-time winners of that competition, two-time winners of this one as well, the European Championships. They won it in 84 and 2000. They did not win it on home soil in the last edition, that title, of course, being claimed by Portugal, which makes the second, uh, is it their second? It's their third group stage game against uh, Portugal all the more enticing uh, the vindication for losing that title to Portugal will be uh, tantalizing as will the opening group game for them against Germany as well some old rivals there a massive game two very very big 
games for France, which I'm very much looking forward to. Their journey to get to this tournament, they topped uh, UEFA Group H with an 8-1-1 record. Uh, the biggest bugbear for them, interestingly, was Turkey. They lost 2-0 to them uh, in June 19. They drew with them 1-1 again uh, in October 19. That one made a bit of a stink in the French press. It prevented them from qualifying uh, directly for the tournament on that night. They had to wait until the promote penultimate, excuse me, uh, game of the qualification process to go through. Their coach, a uh, little fella called Didier Deschamps, you may know him as the captain of France when they won the World Cup in 1998. He's been the coach of the French team since 2012. He is almost exactly identical to my father-in-law, which I find very creepy, and it's always weird to see him on the TV and my father-in-law sitting in the same room. That's another story altogether. Um, the style of play that he plays, it's, um, it's relatively simple relatively formulaic it's uh and it's going to be relatively similar players uh to the group that probably won uh the world cup in 2018 one or two exceptions which i'll get to later but generally it's Deschamps playing a 4-3-1-2 you will have probably Kimbempe or Varane uh in in the back uh Pavard and Luca Hernandez being used as wide players in the back uh, your midfield three could be uh, most likely going to be Kante in there, Paul Pogba and maybe Rabiot in the midfield three, although Tolisso's played in there. He's replaced Kante in one of the most recent friendlies. Uh, and up front, your front three, you've got Griezmann behind um, Kylian Mbappe, might have heard of him. And this is where the change might come. We've got Olivier Giroud and a certain Karim Benzema, who's been welcomed back into the fold more on that later. So the French team, um, oh, by the way, uh, Deschamps has kind of sometimes used a 4-4-2 when he's taken a more conservative approach, but I very much expect the three, uh, the 4-3-1-2 that he's been using uh, recently. I found a quote from Jurgen Klopp, which he made just after the World Cup win, which kind of uh, encapsulates the fact that Deschamps doesn't always give us a thrill ride, but he plays to the strength of his players and France's greatest strength is their strength in depth. They've got so much depth in almost almost every position here. Um, but, you know, they know how to go to distance. Uh, Klopp said France had the right players and the right tactics. He's talking about the World Cup there. Didier Deschamps could have done something else with this team, let them play, run, excite the whole planet to show how beautiful French football was. But he showed great maturity. He calmed and disciplined everyone, even making the game sometimes a bit boring. The, the job of a coach, says Klopp, is to use the qualities of his team in the best way uh best way most conservative way most boring way whatever it gets results for france what's your opinion on Deschamps? do you think he he could afford to play a more expansive way and still win or can you see it from his point of view I kind of see it from his point of view, to be honest. And I think the proof's in the pudding, frankly, for France and the way he's done things. And as an overriding theme, Graham, as what we've mentioned with many other teams, it's it's not the more expansive, beautiful playing teams that tend to go far in these tournaments. It has been, in certainly recent years, the ones that grind it out and go the distance. So I, I would, as much as I'd like to see a bit more flamboyance, I am on side with Deschamps. Are you, are you on board with me there, Graham? Um... As a neutral, no, <laughs> because I just want to see more from there. I'd like that front line of Griezmann, Benzema, Mbappe. I really hope he he doesn't go too conservative because I want to see what those three players can do as a, as a trio. But I guess I can. I mean, it's all about winning, isn't it? And how can you argue with winning a World Cup and making the final of the tournament before that? So, I guess I see your point. Absolutely. With the final Spain team that won in 2012, is that the team like that most recently won a title like at international level while 
playing attractive soccer. I remember them not being as pretty in some of the earlier uh, like victorious campaigns, but that one felt pretty comprehensive. I'm just trying to remember teams that like played the best soccer and also won in the end. It was um, the 2021 CONCACAF Nations League winners. That's the one. Um, That's the it. one. <laughs> Darn right. Ryan did not watch the Honduras game, is what I'm learning from that statement. <laughs> Taylor, don't bring that up. Don't bring up the Honduras game. Come on, man. <sighs> All right. Um, Taylor, shall we, with that, move on and hear a little bit about uh, Die Mannschaft? Yeah. I think I've just given away their nickname. I apologize. But you can tell yeah. me a little more about them, how they got here, their coach, uh, so weiter, as the Germans say. Uh, definitely call them Demonschaft. They love that. They don't get angry about that at all. Uh, it tends to lead to the clarification that they prefer to be called National Demonschaft, and then there will be mm. the further clarification that they don't actually want to be called that either, Germans in particular. Uh, but we're talking about the German national team, who do have a couple different nicknames, and I'm not sure which one they use, so let's just call them Germany, shall we? Uh, they are coached by Yogi Lowe. Surprise, surprise. He's been there for a while, but this will be his, fir- his last, definitely not his first, his last the international competition, at least with Germany for now. We'll be moving on after this one. Uh, Hansi Flick, the former Bayern manager, will be taking over. We've talked about that managerial merry-go-round several different times on this show. Uh, and the major question about this team heading into the tournament is, are they good and how are they going to play? Uh, and that is obviously the question with every team we've talked about. But with Germany, it's really a question. Because I don't know if Yogi Lowe knows what team is his best team, what formation is his best team. The question with him for a while has been, uh, can he sort of reincorporate some of those veteran players? Because he had tried to move on. He had tried to get younger. Now he has brought some of them back. And they do seem to be having a positive impact on the team. So though he has tried a lot of different formations, I would say the two most likely would either be a 4-3-3 with Joshua Kimmich as your number six, or as they uh, played against Latvia today in their friendly, which they won 7-1. to Again, Latvia, but I do think shows us a way they could line up, would be in a back three in a sort of 3-4-3. Uh, and Joshua Kimmich again featuring, but this time out wide as a right wing back, and that could be pretty fascinating for them. Uh, but Germany coming into this one, having qualified with uh, relative ease, winning their group, uh, Group C, it was in qualifying ahead of the Netherlands, Northern Ireland, Belarus, and Estonia. So it's a Germany team that are talented as always, have a lot of depth as always, but also have, I think, more question marks than I am used to from a Germany national team. Taylor, um, looking at the lineup against Dr. Doom's Latveria and uh-huh. the friendly against Denmark as well. Thomas Muller leading the line. Mm-hmm. Um, are we to assume that's a, a permanent fixture for now? Is is that a placating of the of the fan base? What what's um, in terms of the players who've been welcomed back in? Um, I, I think it it shows the depth they have, and again the variety of attacking looks that they can go with. I I also do think it speaks to Yogi Lowe still trying to figure it out as we go into the tournament because the two big names that were not involved in that starting front three because it was Gnabry, Thomas Muller, and Kai Havertz would be Timo Werner and Leroy Sané. Again, Germany have some options. But who starts where? It has been Serge Gnabry central for his speed but also his finishing ability. But Thomas Muller... Brings that veteran guile. He can pull off the Muller hello, which I'm sure he'll do at Mm. least once in this competition. I think I won't be surprised if he is that sort of number nine who drops in and plays as more of a false nine with Kai Havertz taking that space and Serge Gnabry trying to counter in behind. Uh, And I know uh, I don't want to ride too hard on Timo Werner, but how prominent a role do you expect him to play? 
I, it's it's really up in the air. I'm I'll be totally honest. Like I won't be surprised if he starts most games. I won't be surprised if he doesn't start most games because the depth that this G- Germany team has, it's going to be about how can Yogi Lowe put his team in the best position and how can he get the best chemistry and combination of a, of attacking talents. Mm. And even if it is Timo Werner, that means it's not Thomas Muller or it's not Gnabry or it's not Havertz. And again, Leroy Sana being left out of that conversation as well. It could be any number of players starting or coming on as substitutes. And I think it is the type of team that we're probably going to get a, a decent amount of change from the first game to the second, maybe from the second to the third. But as Germany progress, if they progress, I think we start to see after maybe the first couple games, a lot of consistency and the same approach, the same 11 with some fine tuning as we go. Yeah. And I Taylor, can I, can I ask a question about yeah. some of the, a couple of the veterans that Yogi Lowe has, has pulled back into the national team, obviously made a, a big thing of after 2018, kind of saying this was a new generation that mm-hmm. didn't really go so well. And then you mentioned Thomas Muller and Mats Hummels. Is he in the, back in the squad as well? He is uh, indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so so two veterans that are back in the squad. Do you, how, what do you read into that? Do you think that's a little bit of panic from Yogi Lowe or do you think that was the right thing for him to do? I might just be buying into the narrative, but I, I, I'm inclined to believe that it's him sort of saying this is my last hurrah, like, then I'm not going to try to build anything. I'm going to bring in the players that I think will get the results. I think he was trying to move on and sort of reinvent the team a little bit, and it reminds me of what multiple different managers have tried to do with Chelsea uh, throughout history of getting rid of some of the veteran players to change up the style, and when that doesn't work, you bring those... Usually those managers get sacked for Chelsea. Here, Yogi Lowe is still around, but I think we will see him bring those players back in as sort of a, this is our last hurrah, pressure's off, I'm going to put the the best players in the best positions to get the best results. And it seems like there isn't a ton of bad blood, or if there is, maybe those players are willing to overlook it because they want to play for Germany in an official competition. They do indeed. Thank you very much for that roundup of the German team, Taylor Rockwell. We're going to be back digging into the players and much more from Group F after these messages. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We are talking group of death. Let's turn to Hungry Graham. I want to hear about their key players, uh, the potential breakouts, anyone on that field who's going to try and prevent them from the aforementioned death. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I've mentioned a few times now, um, key player would have been Dominic uh, Sobosly until he was ruled out through injury. In his absence, I will point to another player I've already mentioned, Adam uh, Nahai whose job it will be to provide some structure and protection in front of the the back three. For Hungary, from everything I've read, if he has a bad tournament, then there's a good chance that this team will crumble a little bit around him. Um, There's a lot of pressure on him to to play well. Um, Another maybe slightly more recognisable name would be uh, Willie Orban, who um, is the best defender that, that Rossi has, manager has. Um, obviously from RB Leipzig, um, you'll know his name in, in the Bundesliga. He, 28-year-old, um, he is very composed and stable in possession and he's going to play a, also play a very important role in ensuring that, that Hungary control the ball and, and get forwards up the pitch. He is um, proven at the top level of the game and so that experience could be really important for, for Hungary. They don't have many players like that, who are maybe um, experienced at, at, at and you know at, at a top level of a, of a top league, but Orban's definitely one of them. He is also really good in the air, which I think will be important in this group, considering that 
at least from set pieces, at least he could be up against, well, he'll be up against Cristiano Ronaldo. And I guess if Olivier Giroud gets on a pitch for France as well, he he could be up against uh, those sort of players. Um, the other recognisable name I would point to is uh, Peter Galassi, who, of course, uh, plays with Orban at uh, RB Leipzig. That club partnership could be quite important for Hungary, particularly given that it's a defensive partnership. So we're not talking about a a left back and a striker, you know, it's a centre back and a goalkeeper. There will be that 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 relationship there. Galassi is a, a pretty good shot stopper. He's very proactive off off his line and very experienced for for Leipzig over the past six years. Um, up front, I am also going to point to Adam Salai, who has struggled for goals since returning to to Mainz. Last summer in Germany, he, he scored just two goals in the Bundesliga this season. And looking in that, at those numbers, you might not think he's really one to, to watch out for. Um, but he's still a very important figure for Hungary. He offers a lot more than goals. He's known for his ability to, to link the midfield in the attack. He uses his strength and, and, and aerial p- uh, presence to, to hold up the ball and wait for support or flick it on for runners in behind as well. And in that sense... Um, using a reference that I know very well, I I, I would compare him quite quite a, quite a bit to Lyndon Dykes for Scotland, who I, I uh, identified as a key figure for Scotland. Again, doesn't score many goals, but very important to the structure of the team and the way that they get up the pitch. So he's another one that I would I would point to in terms of a potential breakout player. I am struggling a little bit because this this is quite a, an aging squad or at the very least it's a it's a group of players that kind of are, are, are in their they're in their peak years but um a player that i would pick out would be roland salai who um is going to be very um, important with Sobislai out of the team he'll be the one who gets in down the channels and provides a little bit of creativity and a little bit of of goal threat um and i i actually think adam the high could be a bit of a breakout star as well i know i know i've mentioned him a few times he's playing for bristol city but i think this could be a tournament where if it goes well for him i, I think he could actually get a little bit of a move out of this tournament which as you've mentioned previously ryan is maybe one of the criteria we're looking at when picking out potential breakout players so there we go that's how i would uh, pick apart that hungry team thank you graham uh willie orban you mentioned it potentially coming up against uh, Oli Giroud potentially against Ronaldo, uh, Anton Griezmann. That's a lot of handsome he's going to be have to be facing there, isn't it? <laughs> is that going to be a problem? <laughs> well, is it ever not a problem? I mean, that, that's how I judge, analyze teams. I don't know about you guys, but you know, if you if you're a more handsome team, then in my book, the better you are. Yeah, works for Giroud. <laughs> that's all I say. Um, uh, Graham, from the last Euros, I remember Hungary, I think I remember Hungary at least, because I remember calling him Adam Naj, which was definitely not what he was supposed to be called. But I remember them being a team that, if not like good, worked very, very, very hard. And I think Checking did end up winning their group. So there we go. Is that what you're kind of expecting from them this time? Are they, like, will the effort and the sort of like the pride almost of being there make up for maybe some of the, the lack of high profile names? Um, a, li- a little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I don't know whether it's just the, the teams I've ended up with in this tournament, or I think it is just a common theme across the, the teams at, at international level, at, at this level, the international game, but I expect them to be quite a kind of well-drilled, uh, structured team that will leave a lot of the attacking up to individual threats. And as I say, that seems to be a bit of common threat, a, a, a common thread at this tournament. Mm-hmm. But I think that might also be doing them a little bit of a disservice when you look at the progress that they've made under Marco Rossi since 2018, where, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they've, they've won back-to-back promotions in, in the Nations League. They're, they're up to Division A. They're going to be 
one of you know they're going to be they're, they're going to be in another group of death pretty much um through merit by, by earning their place there so this is a team that is accustomed to as i say so as we said earlier Sobosly not being there is huge but i i, I i'm reluctant to everything i read about hungary it, they seem like a pretty good team mm-hmm. i don't think they're going to be kind of the one of the whipping boys alongside the likes of sorry finland and you know north macedonia maybe but and that leads me to think that i've been looking at through some of the the group of deaths we've had at major tournaments previously and my kind of bold claim about this group is i think it might be the strongest international group i've ever seen you've got the world champions in france you've got the defending european champions you've then got the team that won the world cup before you know mm-hmm. france and germany and i know they're they're a little bit um you know maybe on a, a little bit of a decline but they're still germany and then you've got a hungary team that is in great form and is up to group a in the nation's league i i looked through a lot of the, the group of deaths we've had at world cups and euros and I, I can't really find anything as strong as this graham do you think it would be definitely the strongest team if zoltan Guerra had made the team i know he hasn't played <laughs> since uh i think 2017 is when he retired and i think retired as a professional in 2018 but would he make them better i'm saying yes <laughs> Yes, definitely. Absolutely. I don't have any rationale for that, but yes. (laughs) No, yeah, I agree. We're on the same page. We are indeed. Joseph, Portugal, key players. I think there's probably a lot of them. Please uh, let us know. There are quite a lot. First, I want to let all the listeners know, um, Taylor did release that picture of him uh, baby-faced in a WhatsApp group (laughs) chat. I will leak that. I will post it on Twitter if someone Venmos me $500 or Taylor more likely. I mean, it's on Instagram. You can post away, my friend. Okay, well, Taylor, if I can get someone to Venmo me five hundred dollars, oh, good call. My bad, I stepped on that. Don't. It's it's rare. It's very rare. I've never I've never knock seen my hustle. Ah, golly. Taylor, just I just wanted to know how many dashboard confessional lyrics you can recite because it does look like you're in an emo band from the picture. I wish I could yes and you, but I I, I was never a dashboard confessional kind of guy. I, I don't even know enough about them to make a joke. Other than that, like I love uh, people from the suburbs singing about their emotional problems. That's what the picture don't looks like to me. oh really because it just looks to me like a very uncomfortable teenager trying to look cool in a photo what's the difference i'm not gonna lie the hair is not bad taylor like i actually think you pull it off quite well in that picture oh i'll have to find the high school photo of when it's just a straight up afro and then you can all mock me further very uncomfortable teenager trying to look cool in a picture is very much my vibe right now (laughs) as a 29 year old (laughs) graham and taylor bonding oh you love to see always always um, so, guy, how about Portugal, yeah? <laughs> um, <laughs> how about him? So, the way I've kind of looked at this Portugal team in terms of personnel is, at least in terms of their starting a lineup, I split it into players I'm confident will start and then spots up for grabs. So, players I'm confident will start in their positions, Rui Patricio in goal, uh, Ruben Diaz as the left center back in a back four, Rafael Ooh. Guerrero as the left back, Joao Cancelo as the right back, and then Danilo Pereira as that central defensive midfielder plays for PSG, and then Cristiano Ronaldo up top. So that leaves a few spots still open that I don't know who's going to start. One of those spots is right center back. Uh, between Joe, Pepe just say Pepe. Just say Pepe. Pepe. Say it. It's, well, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be Pepe, but it, it could be Jose Font, and I think that is a legitimate possibility. Probably going to be Pepe. Um, more there on him later in my obscure Portugal fact. Anyway... That's a spot that I think is open, the right centre-back spot. The other two central midfield spots, and this is partially dependent on what shape they go with, but we could see William Carvalho, we could see Renato Sanchez, Ruben Neves, Bruno Fernandes, Jao Felix, if it's a number 10 spot in a 4-2-3-1, Bruno Fernandes could be in that spot too. 
Uh, so any two of those guys really could start, and I would not be surprised at all. And then looking at the uh, the two wing spots outside of Cristiano Ronaldo, we could see Bernardo Silva there. We could see Joao Felix shifted out to the left wing, Diogo Jota out on that left wing, or Renato Sanchez playing shaded towards that right side. So, again, all the players I just mentioned, that's not the whole roster, but so many hugely talented players that could end up playing a number of different spots. Looking at key players, very quickly, Ronaldo, duh, he's the team's primary goal scorer. I believe he's the the highest scoring active international soccer player right now, regardless of of region. So he is certainly a guy to watch in terms of goal scoring. Ruben, uh, Ruben Diaz as the left-sided center back, very effective defender. We saw that in the Champions League. We've seen it in the Premier League with Manchester City. Just a, a very solid defensive presence to help Portugal become a, a real challenge to break down defensively. And then the, the other two guys I want to mention, Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva. I don't know if they'll play at the same time. In a group as good as this group is, it seems to me that it's a bit of a tactical risk, defensively especially, to play Fernandes and Bernardo Silva, but it wouldn't surprise me if that happens. Uh, Fernando Santos has done that against France multiple times in the past. So we could see it, and I kind of hope we do because it's going to make them even more entertaining with all that quality. Silva's got that lovely left foot. Bruno's got that silky right foot. It could make for some very entertaining soccer Breakout player, as with several other teams in this group, is a little bit challenging. I've gone with Pedro Gonçalves for sporting. We've talked about him on this show in the past. He was a top scorer in Portugal with 23 goals this past year, playing as a narrow winger in a 3-4-3. He's right-footed, can play some nice through balls. Probably not going to play much at all in this tournament. I would be very surprised if he got a start at least. But I don't think he'll be in Portugal for too much longer because of the quality of talent that he is. Joe, with that quality of talent you mentioned, do you think that it, this will be a Portugal team that are going at France and going at Germany, or do you expect them to be a bit more conservative? Because it seems like they have the attacking firepower to try to like dictate the terms of the game, but it is like Portugal going up against Germany, going up against France, and with it being the group stage and three teams potentially going through, I could also see a more conservative approach. So I'm wondering if you have thoughts on which one they'll end up going for. I think they'll be more attacking. I think they'll be a little bit more proactive, especially against Hungary. That's that's a little bit of a given. Not even knocking Hungary, but, I mean, Portugal's going to control possession in that game. They might not be the better team. I don't know about that. But they have the talent and the ability. They'll possess against Hungary. I think they'll possess against France just because of how Didier Deschamps likes to play. And, and Ryan highlighted that well earlier. Though France can play a little bit more of a boring game, and it works for them. But it also means Portugal's going to have the ball. The Germany game, I don't know. I think I would still expect Portugal to control possession, but I think it would be closer to 50-50, 48, 52, whatever. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference. They have the talent, and I think their inclination is to be a little bit more attacking. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. France, key players. I think the big story here is Karim Benzema returning to the team. Uh, he missed out on the 2016 and 2018 tournaments uh, due to some naughtiness, uh, just some casual blackmail of a fellow uh, teammate over a recording that was made on a mobile phone of a salacious nature, uh, which, uh, which uh, controversially put Benzema out of the team, of course. But he is back. It'll be very interesting to see how he plays alongside Kylian Mbappe, the service that he can provide. Um, maybe similar but different to Olivier Giroud and the job that he would do in this team as well so very much um, there'll be a lot of eyes on Karim Benzema uh, in this team and what he can do in terms of other key players like Portugal and like many other teams uh, there are quite a few of them here uh, Angolo Kante I think is very important here we know uh, it's no secret he's touted as one of the best in the world of what he does holding holding up the middle of the park um, which is something he'll very much do for France 
And Paul Pogba is a, is a big key player as well. He generally makes France a lot better in midfield and um, his contributions are very much uh, appreciated there. And it, it feels odd that I have mentioned uh, fourth in that ranking, Kylian Mbappe, who, of course, you know, as a teenager was central to the World Cup win, averages almost a goal a game for his club, has uh, Sonic the Hedgehog speed. He's absolutely incredible. So, um, yeah, a, a lot of talent throughout this uh, throughout this French team. Very much looking forward to seeing uh, them play out. Uh, the, the tricky one here, like, uh, like you other gentlemen have noticed here, is picking out a breakout player. I'm not sure we're going to see many breakouts in this team. It's going to be a relatively similar lineup to what we've seen in the past couple of years from France. But they do, as I mentioned, have very deep strength in depth. Uh, that's a tautology. They have a lot of strength in depth. Uh, so fatigue is not necessarily going to be a, an issue for them um, should, should they rotate. Uh, one player I thought who might be a breakout player, if we're going to use the metric of a player who's going to maybe get a big move after this tournament, Jules Koundé who is a, a centre-back who um, was uh, severe. He cost them €25 million Euro in 2019. He's already being linked with the likes of Man United, Arsenal and Chelsea. He's looking like he might be a €50 million Euro kind of player now. If he gets on the field and makes some good contributions here, which he may not because there are players ahead of him. There's Rafael Varane, there's Kimbempe, uh, who very much would be ahead of him in the pecking order. But if he does get on the field there, uh, you could see his value increasing a little. He could be a breakout for France. Conde is, is super good. Super, super, super good. I love him. He's very good and he will make a move very soon. Yes. The end. Yeah. Yes, concur with that. And along, uh, uh, sticking with the defence, the question I was going to ask you, Ryan, is should Amert Laporte be in this team? Is he is he better than some of the options that France have? And should he have been brought into the national team before he decided to go and play for another one? Um, if you'd asked me, yes. I think, and if you'd asked me that question in the past couple of years, yes. If you'd asked me that in 2018, 2017, yes. Uh, it's a situation I don't fully understand, Graham, because I think he should have been there. And we saw him, obviously, he's, he's already played in a, friend, uh, in, in a friendly for Spain and is, is very much going to be involved in this tournament. And we saw him taking offence to being asked from a journalist um, his commitment to the Spanish team. He's a, he's played, he played at four different youth levels for, Sp uh, for France. Sorry, he was born in France, but he is a dual national, so he's very much entitled to play for Spain. I find it curious that he could be left out of the senior team for this long. Do you, Graham, have you got any uh, uh, you know, reason why that could be? I, I, can't, well, I can't figure it out. Well, the reason it's always given with Deschamps is he's, ve he's very conscious of the, the environment of the dressing room. And for whatever reason, he's decided that Laporte would somehow... I mean, Laporte mm. seems quite a, quite a subdued, quiet character, but um, would somehow disrupt that. The thing that totally undercuts Deschamps is the fact that he's brought in Benzema to yeah. the squad. Yeah. So I don't understand how he's bringing in Benzema, who's not played for the last five years, who was left out because apparently he was a disruptive influence. And insulted but, Giroud publicly. Just throwing that one out there yeah. too, who's also in the team. Yep. Yeah, and, and yet he completely overlooked Laporte. It's a strange one. It is odd, but yeah, you, you do make, make a good point. Deschamps seems happy to substitute quality on the field for dressing room harmony. And that's a theme we've certainly seen with, you know, uh, Benzema originally making his exit from the team. But it is curious that he is welcome back in at this point. And uh, yeah, we don't hear a lot of stories about Amérique Laporte being a disruptive influence. So I am, uh, who are we to question that, um, uh, that reasoning? Because we're not in the dressing room after all, but it is interesting. And um, 
Maybe she's got terrible taste in music. Benjamin's got better taste in music than Laporte, and they they're not going to hand him control of the stereo in the dressing room. <laughs> and, and just and just to clarify, because I can't remember if we said it like clearly yet, but this is the same Amir Laporte who then switched and is now representing Spain. So very confusing that could have been playing for France and then was like, you know what, nah, Spain's fine. Let's do that. It's not a bad second choice to have, no. really. I mean, it's yeah. all right. It's all right. They've had a they've had a few who who've made that choice. Not necessarily France, but with the dual nationals, uh, yeah. I think Spain doing just fine. Yeah, a, a fairly decent backup for Laporte. He has landed on his feet there, I would say. But um, it, it, it certainly a um, lot of strength and depth in defence and elsewhere on the field for France. Uh, Taylor, why don't we hear a little bit about Germany and their key players? You've already we've already uh, expanded on that a little bit. Tell us more. I will. I have one more thing, sorry, to say about France really quickly. It's mm-hmm. just a thing that I'm always interested in when it comes to that France attack is that, like, Antoine Griezmann, it goes back to his Atletico Madrid days, Atletico, it's hard to say fast, uh, that he likes to be in a front two. He likes to have somebody to partner him. And I think there are other players in that French team who are the, who are similar. But it seems like if you're going to get everybody in there in the best possible ways, you're going to have to change that up because you've got Griezmann, you've got Mbappe, you've got Dembele, you've got Benzema. So how you get everybody in there and functioning well, I don't know how they're going to handle that one. But that's why Didier Deschamps is the manager and not me, so I don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Instead, I can worry about Germany, who are uh, maybe as confusing, if not more confusing. Because, as I said, they could play 4-3-3, they could play 4-2-3-1, they could play with a back three. And none of it would surprise me because I think Yogi Lowe is himself trying to figure out how to get his best players into the best positions to give them the best chance of success. If it is in a back three, uh, I think probably, again, what we saw from them against Latvia today is likely, with it being Rudiger, Hummels, and Ginter. The interesting thing was that they have so much depth that you have certain huge-name players who would have to miss out. Like, if you went with a midfield two, or maybe with, like, the single pivot... It means likely only two of Cruz, Gundogan, and Kimmich are starting. But if you move Kimmich to right wing back, which is what he did today, then it does allow you to have Cruz and Gundogan in the middle. It gives you some of the attacking options that you want. And so that will be pretty fascinating where Joshua Kimmich ends up getting played because I assumed he would be central no matter what. I assumed the same thing of Serge Gnabry because he has been... A, a very important central option for the German national team, though he plays wide for Bayern Munich. For Germany, tends to be more through the middle because he, as I said before, has the speed that you can play with a front three of Sané, Gnabry, and Timo Werner, and that is pace on pace on pace. But Gnabry also is very good on the ball, very skillful, and very good at scoring those goals, some of which can come from distance. Germany will take those shots from distance if they need to. So... We could see lots of different combinations and lots of different approaches. It's just, again, how quickly Yogi Lowe is able to settle on a team that functionally work and have the consistency to get the results they will need. In terms of breakout players, it's it's sort of tricky uh, because, number one, it is an older squad. Not to say it's an old squad, but you have a lot of... 25 to 29 year olds that's the most consistent age range in there and and i don't say that like critically i'm saying it more so as a lot of those players are already playing for the biggest clubs on the planet so to say they're gonna break out would be maybe slightly disingenuous i think the two main candidates 
for potential breakout performances would be a player we saw for Bayern Munich this season, Jamal Musiala, who uh, at 18 years old is far and away the youngest player on this team. Second youngest would be Kai Havertz at 21, and after that it's some 24 and 25-year-olds. I doubt Musiala plays that much. He only has two caps so far. So the player who will get minutes is maybe for like playing for a smaller-ish club would be Robin uh, Gosens, playing for Atalanta, 26 years old, and will either start at left-back or at left wing back if Germany go with the back three. And if they make a deep run, I think he will be starting no matter what. It could be Emre Jean, but I would lean toward uh, Robin Gosens uh, instead. And if they do then make that run, he's going to be a pivotal performer and maybe could make a jump to a bigger team, uh, as has happened with uh, Atalanta players of the past. Uh, Castagni, for example. Thank you very much, Taylor. Um, Mm -hmm. Lots more to talk about in the group of death here. We're going to get to it very shortly after these messages. Uh, Particularly, I want to know um, your guys' thoughts on the France v Germany game, which is happening in Munich uh, on the opening uh, match day for this group, the 15th of June. Looking forward to that. We'll talk about that very shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We're talking group of death people. Let's go to Graham and Hungry. Tell us a little bit more about the team. Are there any stats that um, highlight what this team's about? Any fun facts? What else you got for us, Graham? Well, the number that I would... I would pick out would be 10 uh, that's the unbeaten run that Hungary are on at the moment um, in all competitions as I referenced previously this is a team with some serious me- momentum behind them over the last year or so they've beaten Turkey they've drawn 3-3 against Poland as I mentioned earlier they've, they've beaten Iceland in, in the playoff final so a, a, a common thread with this preview is they, they, they might not be the whipping boys that everyone expects them to be um, in terms of whether they're better or, or, or in a better or worse position this year, I think definitely worse because of, again, sounding a little bit like a broken record because <laughs> Dominic Sobislai is out injured. Um, so important to this team. And even though he he hadn't had, um, you know, he was maybe slightly earlier in his, in his development a year ago than he is now, um, I guess he's only played about five or six months more football since then because of injuries. So yeah, he, him being in the team would have put them in a, in a better position. Um, a weird fact about Hungary, soccer-related fact about Hungary. Um, Hungary um, actually has a fantastic international pedigree going back to the really kind of the 50s when they were mm-hmm. one of the best teams in the world. And they have three players in the top six international goal scorers of the 20th century. Um, Ferenc Puskas, who was a, a brilliant player for Real Madrid before he was a stadium, um, is top of that list <laughs> with 84 goals in 85 <laughs> matches, um, which is ahead of Pele, who is second. And as you know, by these group uh, 
these great pre- group previews by now. I have to get uh, one over Brazil. So, ha, eat that Brazil again after the last group preview that Frank Puskas <laughs> ahead of Pele. Um, so, yeah, that, as I say, a, a country with a, a very rich soccer history that has clawed its way, I wouldn't say back to the top, but close to the top by making this tournament. Um, he's not ahead of Pele, Graham. He scored a thousand goals in his backyard that um, also counted <laughs> for, for the record. Um, of course, yeah. How could I forget? Graham, with with um with Hungary, and we're not characterising them as a team that are going to be the whipping boys here, which is fair enough. But what does that actually look like in terms of the profile of this group? Are we just saying they're going to be competitive in all these games, yeah. but maybe inevitably still maybe get nil point? Um. <sighs> I yeah maybe <laughs> I think they'll be competitive I do think they'll be competitive I don't think they're going to get um, thumped in any of the games I, I was just wondering whether they might pick up a point somewhere but when I look at the strength of this group with uh, Portugal France Germany yeah I think zero points could be a, a realistic outcome or, or a likely outcome but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have a terrible tournament they've just been a victim of as, as you say Ryan the group of death indeed their first game is against Portugal, that one taking place in the former player now stadium uh, for Pushkas in Budapest. Um, Joe, l- a little bit more about um, Portugal, uh, Some maybe a stat. Uh, are they better off this summer? Let us know. I think as far as better off this summer or last summer, I think with this group and how talented they are, it almost just doesn't matter. They were stacked last year and they'll be stacked this year. I will say maybe slightly better off 2021 than 2020 just because – They've had a lot of players have really strong seasons. Ruben Diaz, uh, Bruno Fernandes at Manchester United, Jao Cancelo at Manchester City. The list goes on and on. But either way, man, this team is so, so good. Stats-wise, I want to talk about uh, someone I haven't even mentioned yet. That's Andre Silva, who scored 28 goals and racked up 24.3 expected goals in 32 Bundesliga games for Eintracht Frankfurt. He's not even a starter. I hadn't even said his name until this point in the preview. That, I think, is indicative of how deep this Portugal squad is. He's, he was one of the best strikers in Europe this whole season, and he's unlikely to start a single game or start any meaningful game for them in the, in the group stage of this competition. So I think that's particularly notable. My obscure soccer fact. Yes, we're talking about Pepe. Uh, this is from an article in The Athletic from Jack Lang. Uh, where he informed us all that Pepe slept in his mother's bed until he was 17 years old um, just to hang out and apparently he's a big mama's boy and (laughs) that led to him just sticking around the house apparently for quite some time there were lots of other lovely and informative things in that article but I felt like that was the most obscure one I could pull out relating to Pepe so but at 17 presumably he's professional by that point and he's still doing that Um I'm not sure how how I feel. it's a little bit like learning that Joaquin was breastfed until the age of six. Pardon? <laughs> There's my obscure fact what? about uh, Joaquin. <laughs> what? Yeah, Google it. That's a thing. Joaquin, the Real oh, Betis uh, legend. Uh, wow. Yeah, you know how people say he's he's got he's obviously gone on for a long time and longevity, and he's got a lot of strength. Yeah, there might be a reason for that. That's that's the secret, huh? All right, good to know. Good, the more horrifying you know. to know. Oh, yeah. So there you go. There's Portugal for you guys. <laughs> that feels in the same ballpark <laughs> as um, Garincha and the manner in which he lost his virginity and the animal which was involved in that allegedly, which is something he used to speak about, which we probably shouldn't speak about here. Family show and all that. Um, wow. Why don't wow. we talk a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, look it up. Wow. <laughs> Let's talk about France. Um, I would say they are maybe marginally better off this summer than last. Uh, they are one 
year away further than winning the World Cup, of course. But uh, it's, it's the Benz factor. Big Benz has rolled in now. Uh, so I think that um, makes them a little bit stronger. Uh, you could look at also N'Golo Kante having a rather good season. He's got some momentum. Not that he's had bad season prior to that, but he's certainly been purring uh, in the last few months, you could say. Uh, in terms of a fun stat, I've got one that relates to Karim Benzema from Scorker. Between his final appearance for France in October 2015 and the end of the 2020-21 domestic season, no French player has been involved in more goals in the top five European leagues than Benzema. Uh, he's been involved in 144, ahead of Mbappe, 143. Take that, Killian. I think that's a, a pretty impressive stat and one that shows the value that Benzema will probably bring back. Or he might bring back something which relates to my fun facts, which is the X factor of the French team in that they could implode at any minute. Yeah, it's they something can. they've done, uh, certainly in 2010, famously had a bit of a mutiny on board the ship. Uh, we've seen some puzzling things happen with this team, certainly at Euro 2008, when uh, uh, they crashed out of the tournament and the coach, Raymond Dominic, decided to propose to his girlfriend on TV. Minutes after they're knocked out, she said no. Wonderful stuff. Um, oh. from <laughs> and weird because he was so big on astrology, you would have thought that the stars would have told him when it was a good idea to propose, but uh, evidently not. Yeah, but uh, th that, that is certainly the X factor in this French team. They can be up or down. And when you introduce an X factor such as Karim Benzema, a controversial character, a little bit of spice in the mix, I would say. So maybe not as straightforward as one may think for France in this tournament. Very interesting stuff ahead for them. Um, interesting and spice and variation. Let's go on to Germany, Taylor. <laughs> Yes, lots of interesting spice and variation when it comes to Germany. Uh, a couple a couple of th key things I would say. First off, in terms of are they better now than they were a year ago, I think marginally so, but they are significantly better or in a stronger position than they were six months ago because that was when the calls for Yogi Lowe to resign or be sacked were at their peak, and I think the announcement that he would be moving on afterwards, that there is a new manager coming through, instead of it feeling like, ah, oh, we're kind of like delaying things and it's a, it's like a lame duck sort of situation, instead it feels like this is their sort of last chance to win something under Yogi Lowe, who has been such an important person to this program, that I think he him being in a stronger position, even if it is on the way out, I think puts the team in a much better position. Serge Gnabry having the qualifying campaign that he did, he finished top scorer in the qualification group with eight goals. And I do think, I should note, uh, will be a reason why he was able to do that is because of the way Germany play. And I would expect them, regardless of their shape, to do a little bit of this in the group stage, which is... To not high-press that much, but to sit off a little bit because they want their opponents to bring the ball out. They want their opponents to get possession around midfield because they want, they want there to be space in behind to attack because of the pace they have on offer. So uh, one other little wrinkle there. But the big thing for why I think they're in a stronger position is because Manuel Neuer is back to being Manuel Neuer. A year ago, maybe a little bit even longer than that, there were questions about, like, has have we seen the best of him? Is he done? Is it Ter Stegen's time? Ter Stegen is not going to be the Euros because he's having uh, knee surgery so it's definitely going to be Manuel Neuer starting and uh, I think will be a big performer for them in terms of the uh, the key numbers. The one that I would spotlight is that Germany has been to 12 European championships since their first appearance in 1972. They finished fifth in 1984. They were 15th in 2000 and 12th in 2004, both group stage exits. And that's what led to Das Reboot and the sort of rebuilding of the German program. So fifth in 84, 15th in 2000 and 12th in 2004. 
Aside from those times, 75% of the time they've been to the European Championships, they have finished third or better, which is a ridiculous record. They finished third three times, second three times, and they've won it three times. So... Nine out of 12 times, they're finishing at least third. Uh, it's tough to say Germany will be knocked out early. That, t- that seems to be the way it goes, that fifth-place finish aside. It's either very poor showing and out in the group stage or at least third place. And I, I would say, depending on how the group stage goes, uh, a, a deep run for Germany feels possible and likely. Hmm. All or nothing for the Germans, then. It's all on the field or absolutely none of it is on the field. Yeah, it's basically all or nothing and you're winning dramatically or nothing and you're losing to North Macedonia, which they also did very recently. <laughs> Indeed they did. Indeed they did. Well, uh, toughest question of the podcast time, gentlemen. Uh, I'd like to know what you think of how this group is going to shake out. Uh, who wants to go first? Graham, I nominate you. Oh, that's a tough one. Um... I'm going to go France, Portugal, Germany, but Germany still to get through as one of the the best place, third place teams and Hungary at the bottom. Mm. Any movers on that, Tay-Tay? Yeah, honestly, Ryan, you've kind of talked me into France potentially, if not imploding, then like there there were tons of questions about Didier Deschamps even as they won the World Cup in 2018. It was still, why is he using that player this way? And is this the best idea? And why isn't this working? And... That was when they were winning and having success. If things don't go well to start, I could see a lot of pressure mounting on Deschamps. I could see squad harmony being an issue. So I, I like with anybody in this group, anybody could win and anybody could lose. I do think there's reason to believe that Germany will be stronger than they've been of late, but also some question marks there. I feel like Portugal are maybe the team that is in the most consistent, strong position. Joe, I don't know if that's fair to say, but yeah. I, I'm basically talking myself into it being like Portugal, Germany, France. France, Hungary is is my listing there. Though I I would like to be wrong because I want N'Golo Kante to continue to continue to win all the things. <laughs> yep, I, I actually agree with that uh, ranking entirely for most of the same reasons as well. Um, it's just it's inevitable that Portugal are going to get through, knock England out in the quarterfinals. It's how it's going to play <laughs> out, Graham. It's it's written in the stars. Have you have you practiced penalties yet? Me personally, no. Yeah. <laughs> solidarity and all that yeah <laughs> maybe i should maybe i should indeed uh graham i yes. mean at least a few of the ones who took them from man united recently were english and they took those well as long as david de gea isn't taking for you i think you're fine i thought you were going to say some of them were fans and that ryan should actually <laughs> practice in case he has to take one for england oh, hey that could be the new Euro- the new wrinkle to the euro is like all right we've got we've gone through 11 takers now the players on the field now it's just fans <laughs> whoever gets your first or like or, or the mascot that would be good oh boy yeah. Can you do better than Jordan Henderson from the spot is the question for the fans out there, England. Let us know. Uh, Joe, your thoughts on the uh, way this group's going to shake out? I think I'll change it up from, from everybody so far, I guess, and go Portugal, France, Germany, Hungary. I think mm. I could see the top three going any different way, obviously, but Portugal have the edge. I'm a little biased because I went through it and watched so much of them and looked at their players. But I think, I think Portugal and France will finish in the top two, Germany third, and Hungary down at the bottom. Final question for you then, gentlemen. Do we have the winner of the tournament in this group? It is the group of death, a very strong group. Will one of them go the distance? I'm going to say no because I'm going to stick to my guns. I still think Belgium are going to claim this thing, particularly I think the latest update, Kevin De Bruyne, is he might miss the first group game, but will have his um, uh, fitness uh, confirmed for the second group stage game. So I'm, I'm still backing them. Taylor? 
I think we I think we might. I think we definitely could. I think this Euro is going to be so strange this European Championship. I feel like it's it, it's not it's not Euro, is it? It's the Euros. I apologize. Uh but I do feel like this one is going to be very strange. I just got a notification on Twitter that Arkady Schmilik is out of the Euros, so we could update that poll and preview. Wonderful. Uh I do think that we're going to have uh maybe some teams that we didn't expect to make deep runs, but maybe some teams that we did to do the same. I think at least one team from this group makes it to the semifinals. So, yeah, I think we've got a team that could make the final. Whether or not they win, I don't know. Uh, who haven't I asked? Graham? Yeah, I, th- I think the way I would sum it up is I think two of the best three squads are in this group, and that's Portugal and, and France. Okay. So, I think there's a good chance the winner comes from this group. Yep. Joe? Yeah, I agree with Graham. I think I think odds are that one of the, the teams in this group, especially the, those big three, will go on to win this thing. So, why not? Yeah. Why not indeed? Who knows how this thing's going to shake out? Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me on this uh, journey through the group stage previews. Taylor, what do you think? Should we just leave Euro coverage here or maybe should we do a show um, each day during the tournament when there are games on? What do you you think? No, I think this is it. I think we're fine. No, yes, we will be doing uh, reviews every day once the Euros begin. Uh, It's going to be the four of us in various formats and various combinations. Maybe some other people hopping on. But yes, we will be here for every game, every day, never sleeping, watching it all, (laughs) and uh, hopefully breaking it down at least some of it. Is it possible to sleep while while podcasting? Yes, whenever you can play. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure as always. Good, sir. Uh, I will take my goodbye time to apologize to Graham for stepping on, I think, his third joke of this episode. Sorry, Graham. That's okay. <laughs> we'll just release them as uh, bonus bonus <laughs> sections on the a DVD, if there's a DVD of this. <laughs> I feel like that DVD oh. might not be worth watching. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. We don't need to see a DVD of me sitting in my uh, in my sweats in my garage uh, podcasting. But thank you very much, Graham Rutherford, for your time today. No problem. It's always fun. Joseph Lowry, a pleasure as always. Good sir. Uh, right back at you, Ryan. We'll we'll make bank off of that DVD if Taylor lets us use his passport photo. That's all I'm going to say as the, <laughs> as the cover or the main menu screen. I don't know what it needs to be, but we need to make that happen. We do a package of that the DVD and Graham's OnlyFans and we are absolutely (laughs) rolling in it. Thank you very much. Dear listener for staying with us. We'll be back soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.